4. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, chapter 4 is for you. We're going to get into chapter 5 as well today. Chapter 5 is also very much for you. I love what is in them. I'm moved by what is in them. Chapter 4 comes after, ha, 1, 2, and 3. And in 1, 2, and 3, we're down on the earth. We're looking at seven churches in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago and what was going on in those churches. But then in chapter 4, it's like, let's leave the planet. Let's go up into heaven. Let's enter into the presence of God and see it all from there. And, and the rest of the book of Revelation is going to take us down to earth. These things are going on back up to the throne. Down to earth, these things are going on back up to the throne. So we're learning in the book of Revelation to see everything that happens on the planet from that throne vantage point, from a heavenly vantage point. I like to think of chapter, chapter 4 as being like the, the revelation of the control room. Meanwhile, down here on the earth, one, two, three, chapter four, let's go up to the control room where God is sovereign and seated on his throne. Let's see what's happening up there in heaven. Put it another way, maybe you wonder, hmm, I wonder what's going on in heaven right now. We're going to see what's going on in heaven. We're going to see what it's like in heaven right now. So we got partway through chapter four and what we saw so far to summarize it is that there's one up in this heavenly place, there's one who is seated on the throne and he's brilliant with various colors and it's God, God the Father. And God the Father is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So he's not really sitting there looking like a human and he's not described as a human or some other kind of thing. He's God and there's light, which is his effulgence, his shining forth. So we meet God the Father, and then all around him there are 24 thrones, and they represent, it is believed, and I think well believed, they represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel, all the old covenant people who had hearts for God, and the 12 apostles of the New Testament, all the new covenant people who had hearts for God. So it's all those who have been God's people, all those who have believed in the Lamb who was to come or the Lamb who has come, all down through the age are represented by these 24 there in the presence of God. So we got that far, and then we saw the beginning of Revelation 4, 5, and now we'll read it. I'll put it on the, he'll put it on the screen for you. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. That's going to appear at least three more times in the book of Revelation, those flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. After we've been down on the earth and seen problems for a while, we'll go back up and there will be lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. Back down to the earth and then back up, lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. Back down and back up, lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder. So we're going to go earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, down through a lot of the book that is to come. So we're seeing what's happening here and why is it happening and who's in charge of it all from up there. So there are these flashes and so on. And before the throne we read, and we didn't get this far now, here's new. Stop reviewing, it's new, so pay attention, all right? And before the throne we're burning, sorry, back, we're burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, what is that? I did all this study. I wrote all this stuff out. I was going to preach it all to you, and then I decided the sermon's already too long. It is, and I had to cut things. Preacher's life, what you got to do? What do you have to cut? So I had to cut all the explanation of this, and I'm just going to assert. So you're free to disagree with me. You can reproach me afterward up here and argue with me. That'll be fine. I'll still love you. But I believe this is saying, and scholars believe this is saying, uh, this is a way of describing the Holy Spirit. 
seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there's only one Holy Spirit. What's the idea with seven? Well, you know, in the book of Revelation, a lot of things that are really ones come in sevens. And what does the sevens mean? The sevens mean it's, it's really that thing. It's really present. So this is understood to be the fullness of the Holy Spirit because in heaven, there's a fullness of the Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit is really present, though he's also present on the earth. So he's represented as seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. They'll come up again in the book of the Revelation. So what do we have in heaven so far? We have God the Father as light seated on his throne. We have 24 elders around them, all the people of God from the old covenant and all the people of God from the new covenant. And then we have these lightning flashes and rumblings and peals of thunder that speak of the power of God. It's striking to be in that place. There's, there's power emanating from God and that throne. The power that created and now holds and sustains the universe is there. And we have the Holy Spirit there. So there's God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and the saints of all ages there. But who's missing? Yeah, where's Jesus? Where's God the Son? We want to see him. We want him to make his debut. Sit tight. He's about to. First, a few more things. Just trying to tantalize you. Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne, there was as it were. In other words, it's not really, but it's hard for John to describe because it's a vision. He's seeing visions like God sometimes in the Bible is revealing himself through visions. And that's what John is getting is a vision. The things seen connoted truth about the world or heaven. And before the throne, there was this thing. It seemed like it was as it were a sea. So what's the sea part mean? Well, how big is the sea? It's big. It like goes as far as you can see in that direction and that direction and that direction and that direction. So here's the throne and there's this sea, but it's not like most seas that are like this and turbulent. Rather, it's a sea of glass, like crystal. I wouldn't have even thought they had crystal in those days, but apparently they did. You probably had to be really wealthy to have some, otherwise you'd never saw any. But John uses it anyway. He sees this sea of glass. It's like crystal, he says. And what does that symbolize? What does that speak of? There's not really a sea of glass up in the presence of God. This is symbolism. What's it symbolizing in this vision? You know. What's, what's the sea of glass symbolize? Yeah, the peace the calm in the presence of God. Remember, remember before this, where were we? We were down on the earth with the seven churches of Asia Minor and they're being persecuted and the government's coming down on them and some of them have been put to death and others of them have been imprisoned and many of them are suffering economically because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord so they lost their jobs and it's, it's a hard time on the planet and then we go up to heaven and in God's presence, there's a sea of glass. And there's perfect calm. There's perfect peace. The Bible says he will keep you in perfect peace if your heart is stayed upon him. This is that perfect peace. And in God's presence, there's no turbulence and there's no worry and there's no fret and there's no fear and there's no waves crashing. It's perfect peace. May the peace of God, Paul says, keep your heart and mind. It's that, that's the peace. You can have that in your life through Christ. And next, there's more before we get 
to the Lord Jesus, Revelation 4, 6. Next slide. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, so you imagine that's the throne. So there's one here and one here and one here and one here. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Now, what are these? They're creatures, and it's a vision, and they're full of eyes in front, eyes, and behind, eyes. What are these? Well, I did all this study, and I'd like to share it all with you, but we don't want to be 15 years in the book of Revelation, so I'm just going to assert that these are, what are they? Yeah, they're cherubim. They're the most high order of angels, invisible beings that God has created. You might be new to all this and you're wondering, angels, can you really believe in angels? Are there little things floating up there with wings and harps and all that? Can you believe it? Well, I want to ask you, have you seen Star Wars? You've seen Star Wars. Do you remember the scene where they're in the cantina? I like to call it the space bar. They're in the cantina and there's Chewie and what's his name, Hans, and they're in the cantina and there's all these what? Creatures, right? There's all these different things. And the music going dun 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 You know that one? All right. So so there they are in the space bar in the cantina. And why do why do people create this? Because we like to imagine and people want to believe in this universe. There are all kinds of other creatures. Well, guess what? There are. There's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and there are invisible creatures and different orders of them and these cherubim are the highest and what do all the eyes symbolize? It means they can see. Like if you have one eye, I just lost all my depth of perception. If you have one eye, you can sort of see. If you have two eyes, maybe you can see better. If you're covered in eyes front and back and later it's gonna have them where you can kind of see inside them. It says, and inside they're full of eyes. So they became translucent in John's vision. And they're full, their eyes, man, their eyes, they see. So there are these beings up there in the presence of God, this heavenly entourage, God the Father, God the Spirit, the elders and the 12 tribes, all the people of God, these exalted cherubim. But where's the sun? I want to see the sun. Where's the sun? Hold on. And up there in that heavenly scene, they worship God the Father. They worship God the Father. I won't put these verses up. I'll just read them. Verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's eternal God. He's holy, holy, holy God. He's the Lord God. He's almighty God. All of that in one verse. And that's what they're saying up in heaven. And that's what you need to be saying down here on the earth. That's what needs to be in your heart. That's where you live. Because then you're living in the real universe. Then you're living in the presence of the real God who made all things and gave you life and sustained you and calls you to Jesus Christ. Your whole life needs to be one of worship. Holy, holy, Lord God, almighty, you're eternal who was and is and is to come. And then they go on and they're up there right now saying, worthy are you to the Father, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. God the Father is worthy, that needs that needs to be the song of your heart. And you live with that song in your heart. My Father in heaven, he's worthy. He created all things. It's by his will they exist. You're worthy of glory and honor and power from me. 
from all created things, from my soul. So, so that's chapter four, it's the throne room. And, and we've seen again, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and the 24 representing all of God's people in all of time and the four exalted beings, the cherubim who can really see, but where's the son? I wanna see my savior. Chapter five, let's read verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now, wait a minute. A minute ago, the one seated on the throne was just light. And he doesn't have a body because he's not a physical being like we are. But now he has a right hand. It's a vision, folks. It's just like when you have a weird dream and you see things and they turn into other things. That's what's going on here. So all of a sudden now, the one who is light, the father sitting on the throne, he now has a right hand. And in that right hand, there's a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. I thought of this on the spot in the last sermon. Now I'll do it not on the spot. I thought of it ahead of time. So it looks something like this. Here's the remainder of my sermon for today. Got to hang on to this. But here it is rolled up as a scroll and there's the edges of it. And so there it is. And there are seven seals, like one, two, three. Like if I took I'm a guy, I'll make it duct tape. If I took little slivers of duct tape and went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I've sealed it. Now, do some of you have that thing where you put, you melt wax and you put it on there and then you stamp it and send it to your girlfriend. Do you do that thing? How, how many seals do you put on there? One. So what's the point of seven? Remember, there's a lot of sevens, and they all kind of have the same point. A lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. What's the point of seven seals? It's really sealed. And we're going to see that in what comes. But first, I have to put my notes back so I can see it in what comes. All right, so we read, in the right hand of him who was seated, there's this scroll. Oh, and it's written within. You can peek inside. Yeah, there's writing in there. You can look on the outside. Yeah, there's writing there. And they did that sometimes on ancient scrolls, so that was nothing unusual. But sealed with seven seals. And there's writing. And what's the writing? It, it's more revelation. See, God knows a whole lot of things that he hasn't revealed. Prior to this, he had not revealed the book of Revelation. He's about to reveal everything else in the book of Revelation. So out of his secret knowledge that we don't share in, because he's omniscient, he knows all, he shares a little bit. There's the Old Testament. He shares some more. There's most of the New Testament. Now he's ready to share some more. The rest of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that's what's in the scroll is the rest of what's about to be revealed. The secret counsel of God is about to be made known for what's happening on the planet till Jesus comes again. So there we are. And in verse two, I won't have that to put up. An angel asks, uh, who is worthy to open the seals? And verse three, no one in heaven or on earth is worthy to open the seal. And in verse four, John in this state weeps because no one could open the seal. So John's weeping like, I wanna know what's inside. I need to know what's inside. And then in Revelation 5, 5, the book starts to get really good right here, folks. The next couple of verses are like stellar. Don't miss them. Then we read, and one of the elders said to me, to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know who that is? Who is that? There's our savior. That's the Lord Jesus. He's a lion. Jesus is not really a lion. This is symbolic. What does lion symbolize? He's powerful. He's a conqueror. He's the king. The lion is the king of the jungle. 
And he is the lion who came out of the tribe of Judah, one of those Old Testament tribes. And he is the root of David. What does that mean? David, King David in the Old Testament, came out of him, grew out of him. He predated David, and yet later on in the Bible, he'll be David's greatest son. Isn't that cool? Yes, that's the one. He's the root of David. And weep no more, he has conquered. He has conquered. What does that mean? His death for our sins, his burial, his resurrection and victory over death, his appearance to people, his ascension to the right hand of God, where he sits in session with all authority in heaven and earth given unto him. He has conquered. So this is a picture of Jesus has just finished his redemptive work, and he zooms up into heaven where he wasn't in the heavenly scene, and now he appears, and he's the lion who has just conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And John goes, all right, I can stop my crying. Because the lion is here. He has conquered. One of the things lions do is conquer. One of the things Jesus does as lion is he conquers. He conquers you. He conquers your heart. He subdues your rebel heart running from God and he turns your heart and conquers it so you become a servant of God, a lover of God, a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus. He conquers you. He conquered me when I was 17. Thank God, I'm so glad he conquered me. And that's what he does, he's a conqueror. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah and he conquers by his death. Now it gets really good. This might be my favorite verse in the book so far. It might remain my favorite verse throughout the whole book, we'll see. Verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, so somehow it's in there, it kind of moves around, but it's in there, I saw a lamb. Now, just a moment ago, it was introduced as a lion and a root. Did he ever see a lion? I don't know. Or did he just hear the words lion? Maybe he saw a lion, but the lion has now become a lamb because Jesus is a lion and a lamb. He's a lion, a fierce powerful, ruling, conqueror. He's a lamb. What does lamb? Jesus is not really a lamb. He's the God-man, God in the flesh forever and ever. What does lamb indicate? He's a sacrificial, a sacrificial savior. All of the thousands and thousands and thousands of Old Testament lambs who were sacrificed on Jewish altars, all of them pointed to Christ. All of them portrayed the work of Christ. And then Christ came, and like a lamb, he was slain. By the way, you might want to know, that word lamb now is going to be used. We're counting things in the book of Revelation. It's going to be used 29 times. Want me to say lamb 29 times? Lamb, 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 lamb. All right, I'll stop. What's the book of Revelation about? It's about God's throne. It's about what's given from God's throne. That's why anything happens on the planet. It was given. What else is it about? A lot of things. One of them is lamb, lamb, lamb. Like if I wrote you a letter and in it 29 times I said, Debbie, that's my wife's name. Debbie, 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 29 times. What would that communicate to you? I think he kind of likes her, right? I, I think she's some of the point of this letter. And the book of Revelation is about the lamb, lamb, lamb. Now, prior to this, there have been four times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where we already saw Jesus as lamb. Where was the first one? Help me. Who's the first one who ever identified Jesus 
as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, that's right. He's out there baptizing in the wilderness. All these multitudes are coming out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and all over. And at one point, John like stops the show and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it was Jesus Christ. John started it. Three more times in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb. Now we get to the book of Revelation, and here's, here's the fifth time we have Lamb. And there are going to be 29 of them in this book. It's about the Lamb. He's our Lamb. He's God's Lamb. He's the sacrificial Lamb. And I love this moment when in this book, I saw a Lamb standing. It reminds me of, I'm making this up. Suppose there's a great new movie coming out. It's one that they filmed years ago when Arnold was still young, but there's a great new Arnold movie coming out. They just never released it. But you kind of dig Arnold. I dig Arnold. I like his movies, Predator. But anyway, so, so the movie comes out and you go to see it And the movie starts and there's no Arnold and they're playing some more and there's no Arnold and it's going some more and there's no Arnold. And you're like, man, when are they going to show me Arnold? And then you get to this scene and he's like, he's in a beater because he's younger Arnold and he's all pumped up and his veins are sticking out and he's sweaty and, you know, maybe he's got like mud on him and stuff and, and you go, like the theater erupts. Yeah, there's Arnold and everybody claps and stands and cheers and so on. This is that moment times a billion. This is the lamb. He appears. But a curious lamb. Notice these things about him. They're really interesting. A lamb standing, but as though it had been slain. So I looked at this lamb. It's standing there, but I could tell somehow it it seemed like it had died. We don't know how. We don't know what he saw that indicated that. But standing as though it had been slain. What is that? That's the Lord Jesus. That's our resurrected Savior who did die, who did offer himself as a sacrifice for all the sinners who ever call upon him. And here he is now standing. Your lamb is standing in heaven. But there's more weirdness about him. This is a vision. So we have to understand what these symbols mean. And he has seven horns with seven eyes. Now, I want to assure you, Jesus Christ does not have horns, nor does he have seven eyes. He's God-man forever. Two, two natures, one person, perfectly commingled. So what's the, what's the seven horns and the seven eyes? Do lambs have seven horns? A couple weeks ago on a Saturday, Debbie and I went up to uh, near Strasbourg, PA, to Sight and Sound. Have you been there? And we saw Queen Esther. Oh, man. How many of you have seen Queen Esther? You got it. Oh, shame on you. You got to go see Queen Esther. It was amazing. Well, that night we had dinner at a place called Agape, Christian-owned, Christian-run place. That was really nice. We were outdoors. Right next door was this farmyard with all these lambs. Might have been 30, 40, 50 little lambs out there running around, playing and having a good time. So we're eating and looking at the lambs and talking about them. And, and I noticed, how many horns do the lambs have? Two. Well, when they're little, none. Then they grow two. Two horns. So what's going on here with a lamb with seven horns? Let me illustrate what's going on. Let's go to Cowboys for a minute. Hang with me. Let's go to Cowboys. You're out in the old Wild West, and everybody's, everybody's, every town's got a gunslinger, and every gunslinger has a gun. How many guns does he have? 
probably one, one right here on his right thigh. If he's a really bad dude, maybe he's got two, or maybe they're here, because that looks pretty bad, right? Like, this dude's got two guns. What if you met an hombre and he had seven guns? He's got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What would you think about this cowboy with seven guns? You'd go like, whoa, don't mess with him. Hmm? Like that dude can either hurt you or that dude can really protect you, depending on whether he's your savior or not. That's jumping ahead. So what does this mean? The lamb, as though it had been slain, but now it's standing, so it's alive. But I can tell it died once. It's a resurrected lamb. But it's got seven horns. What's that? This is one unusual lamb. This is a powerful lamb. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God outside of Christ. He's a fearful lamb if he's not your savior. You will stand before him one day and he will utter those terrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me. He can be a terrifying lamb or he can be the most wonderful protective lamb who says, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. And he's caring for you and lording you through life in the good sense of the term and loving you and providing for you. But there's something else weird about this lamb. And he has seven eyes. What is that? Those are the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, I believe it was, and he said, he's telling them, I'm going to depart, and it's better for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, I won't send the Holy Spirit to you. But if I go away, I'll send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and he's with you now, but he'll be in you then. You'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I have to go so you can have the Holy Spirit in you. Who was it that sent the Holy Spirit? It was Jesus. And he sent the Holy Spirit into the world, John chapter 16, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So that's what's going on in this picture. This is, this is the lamb, but he's got seven horns and he's got seven eyes, meaning he's got the Holy Spirit in its fullness and he's sending the Spirit out into the world because he's done his saving work and now he's at the right hand of the Father. This is our lamb. This is what's going on. This is all symbolism, 29 times, lamb, 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 lamb. And in verse 7, the lamb takes the scroll from the one on the throne, and what happens next? All heaven breaks out in praise. I can't read it all. Let me read you some of it. Read it aloud with me. Remain seating, please, but it's Scripture, so it's not my words. It's God's words. You can read it aloud in worship. Revelation 5, 9, for example, read with me. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is such a wonderful scene. One of the guys I read said, what happens here is everything created worships everything not created. I like that. 
Everything created worships everything not created. God the Father, God the Son, and the power of God the Holy Spirit. And this is what's going on in heaven right now. What are they doing up there? There's a sea of glass. And they worship God the Father, and they worship the Lamb who sends out his sevenfold powerful Holy Spirit into the world. And this should be your life. You want to live your life singing every day from your soul, worthy is my lamb who is slain. I'm, Lord, I'm giving you my power and wealth, and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You want to live in that place. That's a good life. Now, we're going to go on to Revelation chapter 6, where our conquering lion, our sacrificial lamb, opens some of the seals on the scroll. And we won't get through it all today, but we'll get started. We can only go as far as we went in the first hour. I could preach longer in this hour, but then my two services are out of sync and I'm in trouble next week. So this hour is kept shorter by the previous hour. So what happens? What comes out of the scrolls? What is life? Remember what's in the scrolls. It's God's secret will for what's going to happen between Christ's first coming and his second coming. What's life going to be like on the planet during that time? It's in the scroll. John wants to know. He's crying. I want to know what's in the scroll. The lamb can open the scroll, and he's about to open it. And what's in there? It's the will of God that is now about to be revealed so humans can know things about what's happening in heaven and on earth. So we can understand life and the universe and the planet. Let's go to verse 1, chapter 6. Now I watched. When the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, remember them? I heard him say with a voice like thunder, come. So he's speaking into the scroll. Jesus just peeled off one of the seals, and the angelic being speaks into the scroll and says to a rider on a horse who's about to come out of there, come. He's telling the revelation to come out of the seal. It's a vision. Things are symbolic. Crazy stuff is going on. So what happens next? Verse 2, and I looked. And behold, there's so many beholds in the book of Revelation because you're seeing powerful, intense stuff. Behold, behold. I have to count those. I have it. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. So this is where we get to the famous four horses of the apocalypse. Have you heard of those? You've heard people talk about, like, all the bugs in my neighborhood singing all day long and flying everywhere It's like, this is apocalyptic. And there are the four horses of the apocalypse. And what are they? And what are they about? And what do they symbolize? We're about to go through them a little bit. So first there's a white horse. Now what does that mean? And only on this horse is there disagreement. The next three horses, everybody's pretty agreed. But on the white horse, some think it's Jesus Christ. And some think it's governmental powers waging war and persecuting Christians. Those who think it's Jesus Christ have pretty good reasons to do so because he's conquering, and in the book of Revelation, Jesus is conquering. He's got a crown, and in the book, Jesus has a crown. In chapter 19, Jesus will come riding on a white horse. So they say, see, it must be Jesus. There's another white horse. Look, there can be a cowboy town with more than one white horse. And there, there can be a, a span of earth up in heaven with more than one white horse. So I don't think, when I came to this, I thought, oh, that's Jesus. 
And when I finished really studying it out, I thought, no, I believe it's not Jesus. You're welcome to believe either way. Um, we can have a friendly debate and love each other when we part. But I think these four horses are parallel. And they're showing us how terrible things will be on the planet, each one of them, during the inter-advental period from the first advent to the second advent. So out comes the white horse. And what does the white horse signify? And its rider had a bow. That's a weapon. There are going to be people using weapons on the planet till Jesus comes. What do they do with weapons? They hurt other people. And a crown is given to this rider. There will be governments who use their weapons to inflict pain on other people. Has that been true? Oh, man, is that true. This is explaining to those first century Christians, here's why you're being so persecuted. Here's the heavenly vantage point on why you lost your job and you can't feed your family. One of the horses is going to be you're hungry. Here's the the heavenly viewpoint on why the government, Rome, is coming down on you and they've killed some of you with a sword. Here's what's going on. It has been given to them. This rider has a bow and a crown. It's government. And he came out conquering and to conquer. What's going to happen all down through time? This nation's going to fight that nation and these guys are going to fight those guys. And World War I's going to happen and World War II's going to happen. And it's going to be deadly. World War II, I had to look it up because I didn't know this number. It's estimated that between soldiers and civilians who died due to World War II, it's upwards of about 75 million people. In a couple of years, 75 million people. What's going to happen, Lord, till you come? There were the disciples in Matthew 24 on the Olivet Discourse, on the Mount of Olives. And they asked him, uh, when are these things going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? Because they're thinking he's going to come back tomorrow and get rid of Rome and we're all going to rule. And he tells them uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars, but that's not the end yet. Nations shall have war with nation, but that's not the end yet. And this is what is being told us here. Yet this whole period is gonna be characterized by wars. Now, let's try and get and make and negotiate or fight for peace. We We want peace, right? We want peace. But let's not have this silly little notion that like if we all just sing together, we can have no more wars. What does the utopian, there can be no more wars idea fail to take into consideration? The nature of fallen people. Will there ever be another Hitler? Maybe. Will there ever be another unjust nation that attacks its neighbor nation to plunder their goods? Almost surely. And this is going to go on and on and on and on and on till Jesus comes. That's what the white horse tells us. No one particular war. It's not like, oh, that happens in the book. That's that war. This is this war. No, it's just that there's going to be wars. There's going to be government oppression, especially of Christians. They're going to persecute believers. How about the second seal? Verse 4. And out came another horse, bright red. Now, we know wars are already happening. What's red? It's blood. It's going to be bloody. There's going to be a lot of slaughter. Some of you who are believers, you're futurists. You believe the whole book points to the very end of time. Some of you who are believers are preterists, meaning past. You believe it all happened in the past with the invasion of and the fall of Rome. I am a, they call it idealist. I I came up with a new term this week. I'm an inter-adventist. 
I believe this is what happens between the first advent and the second advent. It's going to be war, bloody red war. And its rider, note the phrase, was permitted. There's our phrase again and again and again. It's uh, translated was permitted here. Elsewhere it's translated it was given unto them. It was given unto them. It was given unto them. By whom? The throne, 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 throne. The book of Revelation is explaining human history. Why did that war happen? It was given unto them. By whom? God on the throne. It wouldn't have happened if he had not permitted it. He could stop it all right now, and he will one day. But he's allowing it in his providence for reasons of his own. It is given to them. It was permitted. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. And that rider's going to keep taking peace from the earth till Jesus comes so that people should slay one another in war. Last weekend in Baltimore City, 19 murders. Go to Chicago, I don't know how many. Go to Detroit, I don't know how many. And elsewhere in the country and elsewhere in the world. Go to war-torn Somalia. Will that nation ever get straightened out? And people are slaughtered. Go to China under Chairman Mao. Go to Russia under Stalin. And so many people died because of government oppression and government persecution. And go to 140 nations on the planet right now where our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted. And that's a lot of the nations on the planet. It's going to be bloody. And then the third seal opens And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider, let's read on, its rider had a a pair of scales in his hand. So, you know, the old-timey scale, not the one you step on, and it goes beep, gives you your, I don't let it give me my body mass index. I don't want to (laughs) know. But it'll give you that. Not that kind of scales. It's one of those old-timeys where you have a a plate and a post and, and a, cross member and some chains and some little plates out here and you put stuff in the plates and you know this is a two pound weight you put it in there so I'll give you two pounds of grain and when it balances you got two pounds of grain that's what this is and so this rider comes out but he's got scales in his hand and I heard what seemed because it's spooky to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine now what is that A quart of wheat was what you needed to live one day. A denarius is how much money you made in one day. This is 16 times more than the normal prices were in that era. era. Due to war, due to nature's conditions, there will be famine. And there are going to be times when lots of humans don't have enough food. I don't know why, but I'm reminded of the great potato famine in Ireland. And so many people died because they ran out of food. What's going to happen between Christ's first coming and second coming? There's going to be war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be awful inflation where you can't afford food. And the second part of that, first part is a quart of wheat for a denarius. Second part, three quarts of barley. Barley is less expensive. You can get three of those for denarius. That's enough to maybe feed your family for one day. And that's how much you make in one day. You can just barely keep your family alive and do not harm, the voice says, the oil and the wine. There are finer things you could have, oil and wine. You can't afford them. You can't even touch them. So this is what's going to happen. What's, gonna, what's life going to be like on the planet? 
It's going to be war and inflation and persecution and famine and very expensive food, and you can't afford the oil and the wine, and persecuted Christians are persecuted. So, should I just say amen? That'd be a dismal place to end the service. Amen. Go home. No, the lamb is going to conquer. And throughout the book of Revelation, the exalted resurrected lamb will conquer and rule and reign and be honored and be glorified. And I want to conclude with this. Last slide, please, slide guy. Just want to remind you of some of the numbers in the book of Revelation. The word throne is used 34 times. Everything that happens is under the throne. Every big thing on the planet, every little thing in your life is under the throne. Why did this happen to me? It was given to them. They were permitted to do that. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Who else is up there? Your lamb, 29 times. Your lamb, your lamb, your lamb, your lamb. The one who gave himself and shed his blood so that believers might have everlasting life. And then there are seven seals and seven bowls and seven trumpets. So add those all up. There's 21 of those things going on. What's that all about? That's down here on the earth. All the havoc, all the chaos, all the trouble. While up in God's presence, there's perfect peace. And we're worshiping the lamb. This is the real world. This is the real world. They don't tell you about this in the New York Times, but this is the real world. This is what's really going on. This is what's up in the control room, and this is what's down on the planet, and this is the relationship in between the two, and you live here. You live in this world. You need to have, you will be blessed to have that God on the throne, on the throne of your heart. You, you need to have, and you'll be blessed to have that lamb who looks like he was dead, but he's alive. If you have him. <laughs> pardon me, as your lamb, and you love him, and you follow him, and he's your savior. This is the real world. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing each one who is in this room and each one with us online here today. Some of them have not been near to you. Maybe they've been very far from you. Others are loving you with all their heart and soul and might and strength. But wherever we are, meet us, we pray. For those who are far from you, I pray now that you would send your sevenfold, your powerful spirit to win their hearts to Jesus Christ. I pray that they would meet Jesus Christ now while he is a gentle, loving lamb and not meet him in his seven-horned way at the last day. So, Father, draw people to believe on Jesus now. Pray with me if you want to do that. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. You're a holy God. I'm in trouble. But Jesus is a gracious Savior. Lord Jesus, please, may your blood cleanse me. Would you wash me of my transgressions? Would you forgive me of all my sins? Would you give me the free gift of everlasting life, which you purchased by your own sacrifice on the cross? praying for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And dear friend in the room or friends at home,